Welcome to Walking in the Word. I'm so glad you were able to come and join us today. Of course, I have with me today uh, Lee Carruthers. Welcome, Lee. Hi. Good to thank see you, you so today. Much for having me today. So I'm excited. so glad. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, I'm excited too. We've got an exciting topic. We um, sure also, do. We do. Also, we have with us uh, Catherine Hood. Hello, everybody. Lovely to be with you all. Very excited to have the the next lovely person coming on with us today. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we are just um, amazingly blessed today. We have Nita, Niza Moshe with us. Hi, Niza. How are you today? Good morning. I'm getting warm, but excellent. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm so glad to have each of you here. Um, our topic today um, actually was Niza's suggestion she had said, um, why don't we uh, talk about um, like a woman out of scriptures that we admire or a person out of scripture we admire. We all ended up choosing women. So that's really exciting. And <laughs> we're going to go through and um, each present on it. And we all have, as we were talking, we were like, wow, we all have like a major amount to talk about. So I'm really excited about that. So today we are going to start with Lee. She is going to lead off for us. And you're talking about Ruth, aren't you, Lee? I am. I'm talking about Ruth. Um, and I know I've talked about her before, but I have such a uh, admiration for her. And, and we know that Ruth means uh, loyalty and friendship, um, but to me, uh, what speaks to me is her caregiver side. She was a caregiver, and we're going to see that through her example. Um, let's just see. I don't know why my thing is not working, so let me see if it'll let me share. Bear with me one quick second. There we go. Getting all of our technology in order. I know. <laughs> and with me, it's like every time I think I have it figured out, I don't have it figured out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. There we go. Yay. Yay. So... <laughs> We're picking up at, at Ruth 1-6. So what has happened thus far is um, her husband has passed and her two sons have passed. And it's it's her and her two daughter-in-laws. And we're going to see Ruth's loyalty through this. And it's just truly amazing to me. Um, Ruth 1-6 starts, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that... Yahuwah had visited his people and giving them bread. 
we have to remember that there was a, a, a famine and drought going on and a famine going on right now. So there's scarcity in the land. Um, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her. And they went on the way to return unto the land of Yehuda. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go return to each mother's house. Yehuda, deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. Like that spoke to me because I, I know she's just coming from such a, a place of brokenness. She's lost her husband and her two sons. And here she is with these two daughter-in-laws. And, and she's just saying, you know what? There's, there's nothing really right now I have to offer you. <laughs> and Ruth 1.9 continues, Yahweh grant you that you may find rest, each of you in the house of, of her man. Then she kissed them and lifted up their voice and wept. Oh, they were heartbroken. Um, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with you unto your people. And Naomi said again, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? As there are yet any more sons in my womb that may be your men. So she's saying right there, you know, I really don't have much left to offer you. Let me see. Let me go to my next one. Ah, bear with me. I'm frozen up. I don't know what is happening. We always, we've got our technology challenges, don't we? <laughs> it is, and for some reason, it's uh, it's not wanting to go to my, okay, there we go. I guess I'll have to do it this way for some reason. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a man. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a man also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? So she's saying, I can't have any more sons for you to have a husband. And uh, would you stay for them for having men? Nay, my daughters, for it grieves me much for your sakes that the hand of Yahweh has gone out against me. She feels very much like Yahweh has, is upset with her. Mm. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Raoth or Ruth quaved unto her. And she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her Elohim. Return you after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to return from following after you. For whither you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your Elohim my Elohim. Where you die, will I die. And there will I be buried. Yahuwah do so to me. And more so, if aught by death part you and me. And when she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she wept, speaking unto her. So she realized, okay, she's she's going with me, and that's just all there is to it. Um, and bless her, uh, Ruth, the the caregiver nature in her, she just could not leave her. She she was not going to leave her in this sorrow. You know, she was going to absolutely stay with her through thick and thin. And let's see. How did I get to the... 
know why. Don't you just love that about Ruth, that she just wanted to stay with her and not yeah. leave her side? And, you know, it shows the commitment to Yah, doesn't it, when she does that, when she says, you know, I'll worship your Elohim. It's just so beautiful. Absolutely. And to me right here, Ruth is a symbol of abiding loyalty and devotion. Ruth exuded loving kindness. In Hebrew, she was chesed, which is a word that means kindness or love between people. I think I got it working. Or love between people, specifically of the devotional piety of people towards Yahweh as well as the love or mercy of Yahweh towards humanity. She exhibited this selfless care for Naomi. Her love compelled her to sacrifice all of herself for the welfare and safety of her mother-in-law. I've always felt a servant heart within myself. Uh, and like I've said, my mother was a nurse and I've learned from her joy and reward of caring for others, especially when there is nothing expected or needed in return. I love this attribute of Ruth. I can't help thinking what our world would be like if there were more Ruths in it. And I and I have to share, I, I did 11 years in home health as a registered nurse, and I've cared for many um, uh, across the whole uh, spectrum of life. I started in the NICU. I've worked in the emergency room. And unfortunately, um, most people, even though they they have children or family members that can help not everyone has a heart like ruth not everyone is going to have that caregiver heart and it's heartbreaking to see sometimes um, that some of our most precious elderly end up in nursing homes instead of uh, you know in the care of their their families and loved ones and i just love how ruth is just she's not thinking about herself in this at all freezing on me. Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem during the barley harvest. So this was during Shavuot, right, Shell? During the barley yeah. harvest? Barley is uh, Passover. Or Passover. Sorry, mm -hmm. that was during Passover. Naomi had lost her happiness and joy and she told those who inquired if she was, uh, they, they asked her, are you Naomi who used to live here? And she said, and I know I mentioned this before, to call her Mara for Yahuwah had dealt bitterly with her in regards to the death of her husband and two sons. Ruth remained devoted to Naomi and sought to glean in the fields of kinsmen of Ruth's man, Boaz. The love, care, sacrifice, and generosity of Ruth showed Naomi spread all over Bethlehem. She became quite the talk of the town for her selfless devotion. Boaz inquired who she was, gleaning in his fields. And upon finding out her story, he was intrigued by her. And see, that's what we don't realize. Sometimes when we are a caregiver, when we do have that selfless devotion, others see that and it inspires them. And that's what inspired me about Ruth, uh, just to see that she's not thinking about herself. Here she is. She's she's going to glean in the fields behind uh, the 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 reapers, the the first people that were going through. She's literally going through and picking up what's left so she can provide for her mother-in-law. You know, that's just wow. 
sometimes you can't get uh, people to help bring you um, a meal, much less willing to go work so hard to make sure you're provided for. And we're going to see how this is going to benefit her. Then she fell on her face, Ruth 2.10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in your eyes that you should take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been shown to me all that you have done unto your mother-in-law since the death of your man and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your nativity and are coming to a people which you knew not heretofore. Yahweh recompense your work and a full reward be given you of Yahweh Elohai, of Yasharel. Under those wings you are come to trust. And what a blessing from Boaz. Like I, I love so much that blessing there that he put over her. Yahweh recompense your work. Because he could see in her how how she was caring selflessly for her mother-in-law. And I think everyone else was seeing it as well. It was amazing. Through her humble service to her mother-in-law, Yahweh is working for her good. Taking an example from her, we are shown the rewards for caring for others as you care for yourself. What blessings we gain in life by simply standing in the gap for others and for trusting in Yahweh for providing all we need. Ruth left the security and warmth of her family and her homeland. She also was grieving the loss of her husband, brother-in-law, and father-in-law. She had spent 10 years with that family unit and was not going to forsake that bond, even if it meant leaving all she knew behind. I can't imagine the, the fear in that. I don't know if you ladies have know what it's like to leave your home behind. You know, one of the first moves I made was from Tennessee to South Dakota, um, which is way far away from each other and, and how scary that was for me, that new beginning. But just seeing that she was doing this while she also was grieving, while she also was struggling, but yet she was able to set apart the her flesh, her worry for herself. She was concerned about being this caregiver and being this devoted, loving daughter-in-law to Naomi. I just, I just love that. I love that in her. This is Ruth, I think that's three, six. I don't know why that made that so small. And she went down into the floor. Okay, this is um, after she had been gleaning, Boaz had met her uh, or had seen her. He inquired and found out what uh, great things she was doing. Um, and her mother-in-law devised this plan. And she went down onto the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. So she's trusting in this information, uh, this urging of her mother-in-law. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the sheet. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight, the man was afraid and turned himself and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your handmaid. Spread therefore your skirt over your handmaid for you 
are near are a near kinsman and he said blessed be you of Yahweh my daughter for you have showed me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning inasmuch as you followed not young men whether poor or rich and now my daughter fear not I will do to you all that you require for all the city of my people do know that you are a virtuous woman and now it is true that I am your near kinsman Howbeit, there is a kinsman nearer than I. She was unaware that there was a kinsman nearer than her, nearer than Boaz. So what happened next was Boaz had to redeem Ruth. And he did that by going to the city gates and offering, you know, for the closest kinsman that would take the lamb, but he would also need Ruth. So that was forgone. And Boaz redeemed her. And then Ruth and Boaz marry, and Ruth conceived a son. And the woman said, The women said unto Naomi, Blessed be Yahweh, for he has not left you this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Yasharel. So, by the loyalty and devotion of Ruth, Naomi also has had her heart not, I guess, healed from the brokenness. You know, here she is. She's restored as well. And he shall be unto you a restorer of your life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, which is better to you than seven sons, has brought him. And Naomi took the child and laid it in her bosom and began became nurse unto it. And the women, her neighbors, gave the child a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Yeshai, the father of David, and Obed begat Yeshai, and Yeshai bet, oh, begat David. It's a lot of begets there. <laughs> Through the devotion and selfless care of Ruth for Naomi, she went from a gleaner in the fields to an owner of the fields by her marriage to Boaz. Mm. She went from the valley to the mountaintop. She went from walking through the valley of the shadow of death with her mother-in-law to bringing forth the life that would lead to our Messiah. This amazing testament of being a caregiver inspires me in every way with a new understanding of selfless devotion. Yahweh has a plan for us. If only we trust and follow the steps he has given us. Love Yahweh with all your heart, mind, and soul and self and to love our neighbors as ourselves and i can't help but think about the words of our messiah in john 15 12 13. this is my commandment that ye love one another as i've as i have loved you greater love has no man than this that a man may lay down his life for his friends and mm -hmm. to me that's that's what ruth was doing there mm -hmm. is she was willing to lay down her life for naomi she was willing to walk away from everything and look at how her devotion, look at how this ended up blessing her and blessing Naomi and then ultimately blessing all of us uh, mm -hmm. just through her act of selfless devotion. I mean, I wouldn't even want to think about what would have happened had she not fought to stay with Naomi, had she not said, I'm not leaving you, you know, I'm going with you no matter what. Do you guys have any thoughts on Ruth? Um, are, are you done with your PowerPoint? Just with Ruth. Oh, just with Ruth. Okay. Uh -huh. 
yeah, I mean, this was this was beautiful. Um, I, I love the story of Ruth, and you did such a good job with that with that devotion. You know, it was funny. I, I and I had my immersion last October. I it was time for me to do a new immersion. I just knew it, and so my friend Sarah who was, you know, kind of counseling me and talking with me about it before I went and did that said, you need to have a declaration. You need to pray and ask y'all what he's asking of you. And it was that passage from Ruth about, I'm going to go where you go. Your people are going to be my people. That was the declaration. So I, I really oh, love that. that. Yeah. No, I that thought, I, sorry, Lee, off you go. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I love how through her we see that redemption story. You know, she's a Moabite, isn't she? And she comes, you know, we see her grafted in and she not only grafted in, but is the grandmother to David. I mean, how incredible is that? It is. It is. And, and you're exactly right. She was a Moabite and she left even the worshiping of, of the gods that they worshiped, which was not Yahweh. I believe it was, uh, wasn't it, Baal? She's from that story as well, isn't she? Of Lot in the cave. She comes from that really, that's where the Moabites were through Lot and his daughters. And she comes from that really uh, unsavory past. Right. <laughs> generations passed down through. And she's, it's just incredible that y'all can redeem anybody and everybody. And we see that through her. And I love that. Amen. Thank Amen. you. Lee, I'm going to remove this just for a second. We'll be able to add it right back in. Okay. Okay, that way you can ask Nita. We'll go on. <laughs> um, well, the thing, you know, that she was altruistic and that she trusted Yahweh first. And, you know, she had been through a lot of brokenness. And I know for me, um, anytime you've ever been in a really broken place, I for me, I, like, I remember the very most simple kindness that anyone would do for me. And not, and them not realizing what a huge impact it was. I mean, it could have been something so nominal as giving you a drink of water. You know, um, they just had no idea. And so I think that she, you know, she was in that, and and um, you know, having recently experienced, like, how am I going to have provision? How I don't, I don't have the living quarters. I don't have whatever. You know, uh, for my eighty-nine-year-old mother. But I also knew that I could not not be there if I was her only option, right? And and so when you look at that, all the provision was provided for her, right? And even though she couldn't see that, and, and that that has been true for me. But the thing that I really uh, get out of that too is that because she feared Yahweh, that she gave those, all that she had, and then expected him or, you know, or trusted him to fill in is that she was totally blessed and taken care of. Yeah. And she became the, the like the great grandmother of Yeshua, the Messiah. Right. So her works went on and found themselves worthy in, in the lineage, the care of, cause there's a lot of care that has to go through to be passed down to raise a set apart people. Um, and so that was that was all there within the story. And so I, I think it just makes a a huge a huge difference. And and to see, she gave up her life, she did. and Father ex exalted her and and her family. So absolutely, yeah. I agree. And that's 
that's why I think I've always admired her is she was just, she was so trusting and, and had such a faith about her. It's, I, I wish there were more of her. <laughs> Amen. All right. right. Well, don't you love to be surrounded by people who are altruistic? There aren't many of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. You got to keep them when you find them. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Are you ready to uh, present the, the rest of what you were presenting today, Lee? I am. I'm just brief. I was briefly going to go through um, the woman with the issue of blood. Okay. This was, and I know um, when, when you're talking about people that you admire, I have always had a connection with the woman with the issue of blood. Um, and for so many reasons. Uh, so I'm just going to start reading here, uh, Mark 5.23. And besought him greatly, saying, my little daughter of lies. So this is what's happening. They're there. There's all these people around. Um, he's out, uh, I guess, trying to get through a, a crowd. And, and this gentleman besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. I pray you come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. So this is a very desperate moment that's happening right now. And Yahusha went with him. So I'm sure they're trying to hurry through this crowd. People are everywhere because they, they're all there for Yahusha. I want a piece of him, I'm sure. Everybody there has has a need. And, and much people followed him and thronged him. They're all around him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Yahusha, she came in the press behind and touched his garments. For she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Wow. There's so much there. The faith that she had and, and what I know that she was going through with these physicians. Um, she had been through it. She had really been through it. And the straightaway, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Yahusha, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out, out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his Talmudim said unto, see, unto him, do you see the multitude thronging you and say, who touched me? They're like, do you see how many people are here? <laughs> and he looked around about to see her that had done this thing but the woman fearing and trembling knowing what was done in her came and fell down before him and told him all the truth and he said unto her daughter your faith has made you whole go in peace and be whole of your plague wow so she back in those days she would have been considered unclean mm -hmm with her issue of blood to understand this nameless woman we have to understand the religious law at that time she was condemned to believe that she was unclean and that everything she touched was unclean it was her responsibility to not contaminate others she would have been cut off from her people and ostracized she would have been totally shunned mm -hmm. shunned outside 
and away just breaks my heart. I've always admired her faith and I knew her desperation. I have physically experienced what she was going through and thought that I would die. I suffered greatly and felt broken and so weak. There was nothing anybody could do to help me. <laughs> I tried everything. I was put through so many procedures and finally, a doctor finally took action for surgery. Um, and because I pretty much all but decided I was going to die and I was saying my goodbyes. And then one night, not long before my surgery, I woke to see Yahusha dressed in white with light all around him and his arms outstretched to me. And I had a peace from this forward, regardless of if I lived or died. Even though I told people around me, everyone said, oh, that's a hallucination. You know, I know for a fact I was awake and I know what I saw at the foot of my bed. And from yeah. that moment on, even though I still went into a surgery thinking I was going to die, I, I knew he was there and he was comforting me. And regardless, he was saying, I've got you. I'm here and I've got you. Mm -hmm. So the fear left me. <laughs> And this nameless woman who only had her faith left, faith left to give, she reached out in desperation knowing 100% in her heart that if she could only touch his hem of his garment, his tzitzit, that's all she knew is if she could just touch him that she would be healed. So she had that faith like a mustard seed, even in her weakness, her infirmity, and shunned by everyone. She knew all she needed was Yahusha, our salvation. It's fitting we don't know her name. She was lost to her people and then she was found. She was a nobody who became a living testament, inspiring us today through her example that we need only believe and to have faith in the healing we can only get from our Messiah. I'd like to think her name was Faith. Because faith in Messiah and the healing he brings by his blood is where I run when everyone else runs away. We need only have faith to reach out our hand to him. <laughs> oh, amen. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Oh, I will stop my screen share. I knew that yeah. one would get me. <laughs> yeah. That, that was beautiful. Thank you. Well, so you often feel like that lady, don't you? Just trying to get to him, just through anything, past everybody, through the crowd. Just, just touch the edge of his hymn, you know. Yeah. Wow. And I would uh, like to think her name was Faith. Yeah, and yeah. that that whole thing of kind of even being shunned, you know, and and being kind of ostracized. I, I think any of us that have left traditional you know, Christian worship have kind of experienced that as we've made a difference to do something different. So in a small way, you know, we've experienced kind of what that feels like sometimes to, you know, suddenly, you know, you're the place of, of Easter and the, the, the ham and all that, that's, that's not where you're welcome or comfortable. And, you know, it, it's a strange thing to experience that, that shunning. It is. It is. You know, yeah. for uh, uh, the way people are so anti what goes on in the Old Testament, they sure do. A lot of people participate in biblical shunning and they yeah. don't even 
realize that's what they're doing is uh, the biblical shunning. You're you're not you're not within the, our camp, so you're you get out. You know, you go right. to the outside of the camp. Yeah, yeah, really, very good observation with that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've never, I've never thought of it that way before, actually, Sean. I think that's brilliant, you know, to think of it as we go through that shunning ourselves, but for a different reason. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to be moving on to Nisa for her presentation now. So I'm going to go ahead and highlight you if you are ready. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about, Um. can, can I just add something? Yes, please. Um. I know this is weird, but that woman, and when, even when the apostles came by people, uh, that woman, and when people came by that were healed, they were within the biophoton field of Yeshua and the apostles. In other words, their aura, their countenance, right? And so, and, and then we see like in the transfiguration where Yeshua, you know, his clothes are lightened and there's this, all this energy. And so, I think a lot of times in the past, we have never really looked at these scriptures, but this is also what will happen when the witnesses are empowered with light, right? And if you see what happens after his uh, meeting there with Moses and them in the sky, um, you know, and he, he had this power and this light that came forth, he went on to deliver these demons, right? And, and a lot of um, the apostles, you know, and and we see that and we long for, you know, hey, we want to be empowered. We want to have uh, the power of Yah work through us and a desire to bring healing to people. But what we don't really realize or like to pay attention to, which also happens to the witnesses, is what comes after for these people? Persecution, beating, jails, death, right? So the bride has to be prepared and ready and each individual to lay their lives down, let's say like like Ruth, and and then this woman, she just threw it all out there, you know, right? She had to bypass all the rules because of the desperation of the healing that she needed uh, to receive that energy, to receive that light, and then to be able to give it to others. And all I'm saying is, um, I think we get a little cocky sometimes, <laughs> right? We don't think about. Ooh, I mean, think about it. If we knew ahead of time and really thought about, oh, well, I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get thrown in jail. I'm going to get crucified. I don't know if I want that light. I don't know if I want to shine it, right? Um, but at the same time, he gives us such a power and such a light and such an incentive that we can't resist it. You know, like, oh, who cares? We're going to jump off the cliff anyway, right? He's just going to give it to us. So um, I just, I've been studying um, in that, has come up several times this week in the transfiguration from different angles uh, with that countenance and for the past and the future. And so I think that's, you know, I just like to say, I think there's a science, which I believe science is a revelation of Yahweh's creation, not just knowing um, that happened for this woman in her, in her desperation. And I think that's really, where does he say? He says he's with the contrite, right? The humble. That's when, you don't care. <laughs> you know what? You're just going for it. You just want him, whatever the cost, whoever makes fun of me, whoever mocks me. And even if he doesn't heal me, even if I don't get delivered from the situation, will I accept anything less? Will I accept the hope of the eternal, which is a segue into where we're going next, right? 
Yeah. So. Gosh, that's really interesting. You said an, an interesting word and, and I'm not sure exactly what it means, but I want to ask you, there was a situation in my, in my life and I want to ask you if this kind of lines up with that. So there was a point in my life when I was experiencing some, some women issues and other things. And I, we were in Florida and I went down to the beach one day by myself and the waves were up and I was like, I'm just going to stand here until you change me, until you change mm -hmm. me. I'm going to allow. And so I just stood and let the waves hit and hit like at chest level, just kept hitting me. It was kind of pounding me from chest to groin, just, just pounding. But I felt that, you know, just some kind of connection energy. I just stood there and prayed for hours, you know, and I was even thinking about it the other day, we had a big storm and I hadn't been feeling great. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go out on my porch and I'm just going to, whatever energy is going on in this from the creator, I'm going to listen for his voice and feel some kind of power from his creation feel me. So does that have something to do with a bio photon field? Yeah. I mean, science calls it the bio photon field, you know, uh, new ages will call it aura, which I don't have a problem with the word whatsoever because I think it goes back to or light. Right. Mm. Um, I mean, and we do have and with curly and photography and stuff, we can see these layers and I, you know, I guess I connect it to the word countenance in scripture, you know, when your countenance is down versus your countenance is, is out but you know if you think about it our our thoughts are electromagnetic and i believe that's actually how everything was created through the olive top but when you're in that water or in the rain uh, we we have to remember that's how creation was done that that electromagnetic energy of each letter or whatever that power is which i you know somehow wrap a reminder around it is yahweh elohim olive top yeshua um you're speaking and like he did what he spoke what he bara what he created from scratch with the olive top went into that water and that water was vibrating and we know today what does water do it holds memory mm -hmm. so when we speak when we sin i think this is the same with the woman that was uh, uh suspect of adultery how, how can you give somebody something to drink and then it knows whether to you know wipe you out or not well you know, I believe it's because when we sin or whether we speak good, whether we speak prayers like what you were doing in the waves or like what she may or may not have done in her body, that registers, right? That memory is there. And that's the same thing that happened in Genesis, especially when you pull it apart in ancient Hebrew. Um, there was this energy that went into the water, the water whole held um, the memory of all that. And then the next Hebrew word is not bara, right? Which is really more like a cutting of a covenant or Adams. He then formed, I think it's a saw. Um, and so then it changes. It's like, okay, everything Elohim, Olive Tav, everything that consists of all creation, Yeshua, goes into this water, right? And then from that, everything else is formed. Right. So I think, you know, and think about it. Of course, we'll talk about this when I do the other show, but um, New Agers, witchcraft people, biblical people, what did they always do? They went up to the high places or they went into the waters. Right. And because that is because there's a connection in a physical, spiritual way 
that I think we are just now trying to begin to understand um, and accept. And I think that's important for our future. And I think it's important for right now because if we don't understand this, the battle that has been um, placed against us, we can't overcome and we should at least know what we're going through. Right. I mean, it's okay to die in the battle, but don't, don't be ignorant and, and don't um, forsake the training that he's allowing all of this to happen for us to learn so that we as a corporate body can raise up and use those prayers and those words and those thoughts to counter the enemy. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah, sorry, get carried away there. No, we, we love it. <laughs> well, I'm always aware of the enemy saying, you know, people are going to think you're crazy. No, no. <laughs> but more people, you just be surprised. I mean, I have been fighting this for over a decade. Uh, you know, just come, people coming up and going, you're a witch. You, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, Father is the one who put light and energy into my brain, showed it to me in the scriptures. And, you know, you have no problem using television or your cell phone. How do you think this stuff works? You know, because, right. well, my background is in telecommunications, so I understand a little bit more. But, uh, you know, you go in for your heart, you know, your electrocardiogram or your CAT scan or whatever. What do you think is being used? Right. right so right. anyway, so when it comes to faith um, and faithfulness, especially as Lee was sharing with us, I am going to share about Hannah and I will warn you ahead of time. You probably need some tissue and I go high class. So, you know, <laughs> I may need it. Oh, look, I got my, my vintage hanky here. <laughs> Ooh, pretty, pretty. I have one, but I won't, I won't get it dirty. <laughs> anyway. Um, so my, I have some favorites and Kat's going to do one. And I like Abigail, but I know we won't get to her. Um, my favorite, favorite hero as a mother and as a person I can never talk about her without crying is Hannah of the book of Maccabees. Okay. And I think that what, what there is to learn from this besides just grieving with her. Um, that's not really the main reason or purpose for this, although we will. And I, I think there's a fellowship in the suffering of Christ Yeshua and the, and with the body uh, from the past, future, present um, that, Han is my hero. And um, this is going to maybe ring, especially with you mothers who are have, have grown children, right? And um, I just finished homeschooling for like 30-something years. And so I'm an older mom who just graduated an 18-year-old like 18 months ago. So um, when I look at Hannah's story and I look at the faith, and I look at the strength, I see that we, we need this, we need it today, and we need it tomorrow. And um, she, in a nutshell, before we go into it, um, she watched in one day seven of her sons be tortured and die for the sake of Elohim and staying righteous. Um, so... Anyway, that that to me takes a lot of strength and how she encouraged and she walked through them. And um, I wanted just to uh, first share there. There was a movie. I think it's a 1982 movie 
I'm not saying pro or con against the actress, but um, it might have been the first movie or first time I ever became aware of this actress was Meryl Streep. And she did a movie called Sophie's Choice. And I don't really remember anything in the movie except that she was mental uh, from trauma. And there's this scene in the movie, which I think goes very much here along with Hannah. There's a scene in the movie where she is uh, taken as a Jew to Auschwitz. And she has a son and a daughter, maybe three to five years old, seven maybe. And uh, they, on the tracks, when they get them off, she has to make a choice. Which of her children will go to the gas chamber and which one will be shot immediately? And she made a choice. And what did the enemy do? Took them both anyway, right? And I remember, uh, and this was before I was a mother. I remember when I watched that, that I thought to myself, if I ever have to make such a choice, I will do whatever I can to get us all shot. <laughs> because what, what does the enemy always have against us, right? We fear for our lives. We fear torment. We fear whatever. But if we truly have the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, set apart spirit within us, and we truly are his, and we are truly surrendered all, then we have to live and act and make choices as if we believe that. And as much as we want to save our children and our loved ones, we need to impart that to them. You know, look, I, I and I used to tell my children, if this choice ever happens and people torture your parents or your sisters or brothers or whatever, don't give in. All they're going to do is they're going to die. And then what? Either you believe there's a resurrection, either you believe there's an eternity and a presence with Elohim, or you don't. And if you don't, then when push comes to shove and the rubber hits the road, what decision are you going to make? You're just kind of playing a game because sooner or later, I think we all have to be in that position, even if it's being like so sick as Lee was talking about is, and, and I've experienced this past year is if I die, I die. You, you know what I mean? But I will trust and accept whatever it is you have for me. So anyway, let's go. Um, I'm going to try to share this if I can do this. Uh, so I want to share a screen and does it come up? I hit share, slides, extra, share screen. Oh, there we go. Um, share screen. Okay, and I want this screen. Does it work? Yes. Oh, awesome. Okay, I get rid of the sidebars, but I don't really know how. I could make them smaller. <laughs> That's like me, Nita. I, ne I never know either. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Because we don't do it repetitively every day. We don't know, right? That's right. Okay. So let's go to, we're in 2nd Maccabees, right? And you can go online and download um, a PDF if you don't have this. Uh, so I would encourage you at least 1st and 2nd Maccabees to go through and read the history, et cetera. Because um, I think everybody owes it to themselves. And I think there's a great deal of faith in, in this. And I think one thing that a lot of believers, especially Christians, you know, we think that, the Jewish people, the tribe of Judah, don't believe in the resurrection, right? And it's very evident uh, in this, in these passages of scripture that they do. And so I think that's important. 
So if we're in, I think we're in chapter, I just kind of wanted to pick up from chapter, uh, this is chapter six, verse eight. Moreover, there went out a decree to the neighbor cities of the heathen by the suggestion of Ptolemy against the Jews that they should observe the same fashions and be partakers of their sacrifices. And whoso would not conform themselves to the manners of the Gentiles should be put to death. And then might a man have seen present misery misery um, there were two women brought who had circumcised their children whom when they had openly led around about the city the babes hanging at their breasts they cast them down headlong from the wall that, that's just a you know it's a big sentence to overcome um, but to think about how faithful would he be and especially in our day and age of what we've been going through and what we know the enemy has set up for us and others that had run into caves nearby to keep the Sabbath secretly being discovered by Philip were all been together because they made a conscience to help themselves for the honor of the most sacred day. Now I beseech those that read this book that they be not discouraged. I think this is one of the reason I wanted to really read this part, not to be discouraged by these calamities, but that they judge those punishments not to be for destruction, but for a chastening of a nation. And as believers who understand or believe that it's about the whole house, right, of Israel, all the tribes, everyone in, in covenant with Elohim, what we are enduring today and what we will be enduring in the future is for the cause of preparing us as a nation. And, and I've always said, with enough persecution, we will learn how to get along. Now, I beseech those that read this book that they be not discouraged for these calamities, but that they judge those punishments not for destruction, but for a chastening of our nation, for just a token of his great goodness. I mean, wrap your head around that. I think that's kind of hard, <laughs> right? Um, we don't look at correction, uh, especially at things that we don't see that we're responsible for, because we don't see that everything we say and do we are responsible for how it affects other people, other people in the body, our future generations. We don't see that. Um, you know, maybe Ruth saw that because obviously it had affected her generations, right? Uh, for it is the token of his great goodness when wicked doers are not suffered any long time, but forthwith will be punished. For not as with other nations whom the Lord or Yahweh patiently forbeareth to punish till they become to the fullness of their sins to deal with us. Lest that being come to the height of sin. And in other words, Father has a purpose for some reason. We can see this throughout scripture. He's he over and over, you know, whether it's weather, famine, etc. He's saying, if you do this, if you obey me, if you come into covenant with me, then I will bless you. I will protect you. Um, you won't have sickness in the camp. And so we really have to ask ourselves, and I know this boggles me a lot, is what am I doing wrong? What are we doing wrong? And maybe sometimes it's not just us individually, right? We, whether we like it or not, we suffer because of the sins of the rest of the nation. Mm -hmm. As a husband and wife, you know this, right? If you have an ungodly wife or an ungodly husband, who suffers? You and your whole house, right? 
Um, and that is what I think as Westerners, we really, really lose that whole concept of how we impact everybody and everything. So he, there's, there's this thing throughout scripture, you can say he lets the sins, these people build up. And it, and it even says many times, it's so that their punishment will be that much greater, right? So, uh, and, and then, you know, we always have to remember the book of Job. What we've been going through for the last two years, corporately, individually, it had to go before the throne. It had to be given permission, right? So anyway, um, that's the rest of chapter six before we get into chapter seven, which is about um, Hannah. Okay. So it came to pass also that seven brothers with their mother were taken and compelled by the king against the law to taste swine's flesh and were tormented with scourges and whips. Now in the previous, I think it's in the previous chapters, um, they talk about um, how they tried to get certain people and the priest, Cohen, to even pretend, pretend to eat pork. Now, if you're going through this kind of persecution and suffering and torture, I don't know about you, but I might think about pretending, you know, unless you really understand that by partaking and eating pork and unclean foods, because we are the temple, we are the living stones temple, we are defiling the house of Yahweh. And that by, by this is just something he gave me one day, because I, when I used to read this, I really I couldn't wrap my mind all around it. And I'd be like, how, how can it, I mean, it, it's obviously got to be super important not to eat pork if they wouldn't even pretend, right? What, what is the big deal? And one day, Father just gave me this kind of little vision of it's like a man walking into a house and seeing his wife have an adultery in his bed. It's like, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> okay, so uh, in other words, you're defiling his temple, his his body, his bride, right? Neat, so are you talking about, I think his name's Eliezer, and they, he's an old older gentleman, and they say uh, to him, yes. you know, just... Uh, yeah, and I thought there was another one in the chapter before, but um, and, I can get know, the name wrong. But yeah, you're right. Not, there is he one. won't eat it, doesn't he? Because he doesn't want the younger people to see him do it. Right, that one, yes, food. yes. There was the other one that started the Maccabee War in a way, but yes, that one. And and that was very important, Kat. Well, what was his purpose? I mean, other than, yeah, he was old. He was ready to go. But hey, he said, I will impress the young people to think that it's okay to take this abomination. Translate yeah. to 2022. Okay, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. He understood the responsibility. And to be honest with you, when things first started coming around 2019, 20, uh, I looked at my husband and I said, hey, we've, you know, we've raised five of these children. We've had a children's home. We've done all of this. We've, we've given it a good run. You know, I think we've been pretty faithful. Can we just check out now? <laughs> I'm ready. The world has gone crazy. And it's really hard when you're older to watch it go crazy. But then, you know, as the months went on, it was like I had to repent, you know, because like it was, oh, what a coward. Who's going to be around? Who's going to be here to inspire? Who's going to be here to counsel, to remind these people, these younger people, especially of of, because a lot of them have no concept of what we've come through and how it used to be. 
I mean, if you think about it, we have a generation of children that don't know what a clean sky, clean water, going fishing in the pond and not worrying about everything. Uh, they have not a concept. You know, they don't get to lay down and see all the beautiful skies and pictures that we used to see, right? Um, anyway, so, but yeah, that was, I think that was really important about him, Cat uh, was he didn't want to lead anybody on to think that this was okay, that they needed to keep the faith. They needed to stay strong regardless of their age or situation. And he was setting the example, wasn't he? He was setting the example and showing people this. If we, you know, if we don't keep Torah, then why will anybody else keep it? You know, I love that about him. He's one of my favorites in Maccabees. Amen. Because people, I mean, you know, isn't that the book that most people are going to, that's the word most people are going to read, is what yeah. you do, the choices yeah. you make, right? And those speak volumes. And, um, and obviously they will see the hypocrisy if you don't make the choices um, that affect life. So, but one of them that spake first said thus, what wouldst thou ask or learn of us? We are ready to die rather to be rather than transgress the, the laws or the Torah or the instructions of our fathers. Then the king being in a rage commanded pans and cauldrons to be made hot. Now, remember, this is a mother with seven sons that are being brought up, which forwith being heated, he commanded to cut out the tongue of the first one that spoke up to him that said, hey, we're not going to go against our fathers or the Torah. Um, they cut out the other other out parts of his body uh, and the rest of his brothers and his mother were looking on. Now, when he was thus maimed and all his members he commanded him being yet alive to be brought to the fire and to be fried in the pan. And as the vapor of the pan was good space dispersed, they exhorted one another with the mother to die manfully. Thus saying, and, and what I wanted to say earlier was as a mother of whether it's one children or many children, the one prayer that I have always had for my children is to love their lives not even unto death. I, I remember the day my firstborn was born. The late the nurse came in and she says, Oh, she's beautiful. And I, I looked at her and I said, I don't care if she's beautiful, as long as she loves the Lord her God with all her heart. Well, needless to say, the nurse thought I was a little wacky. But <laughs> anyway, um, because that is, I mean, that is your true beauty, right? So when I think about the desire to have my children have at least, if not more of a relationship uh, and the deliverance and salvation that I have had in my life. I want that for each of my children. That is my end goal. Whether it's a short life, I, I pray that they die honorably, right? And so when we look at this story, I just look at this and go, wow, not one, but seven including herself. Um, and so Yahweh Elohim looks upon us and in truth has comfort in us, has comfort in us as Moses in his song, which witnessed to their faces declared saying, and he shall be comforted by his servants. And um, so, I mean, think of the, the power of this family unity here and, and who knows where dad is. He probably was, so he was probably the head of this household 
did a well job and was already taken out. So when the first was dead after this manner, they brought the second son to him to make him a mocking stock. And when they had pulled off the skin of his head with his hair, they asked him, will thou eat before thou be punished throughout every member of your body? Will you go ahead? I mean, think about that. This man was looking at his own scalp with his own hair and saying, will you do this simple, this simple little thing of eating pork to defile your body, to go against the Torah? But he answered in his own language, so obviously it was Hebrew, and said, no. Wherefore, he also received the next torment in order as the former did. And when he was at his last gasp, he said, thou like a fury takest us out of this present life. But the king of the world shall rise up who have died for his laws unto everlasting life. Now, I don't know about you, but this... This passage is before Yeshua. Like, this guy knows there's this king coming that's going to give his life. After him was the third made a mocking stock, and when he was re uh, required, he put out his tongue. Hey, he willingly said, hey, go for it. And that right soon, holding forth his hands manfully and said courageously, these I have... Um, these I had from heaven. In other words, my body, everything I have, it didn't come from me. I didn't create it. Elohim gave it to me. Here, you can take it, right? Um, these I had from heaven and for his laws, his Torah, I despise them. And from him, I hope to receive them again. Tell me that's not about a resurrection. In so much that the king and they that were with him marveled at the young man's courage for that he had nothing regarding his pain or the pains. And now when this man was dead also, they tormented and mangled the fourth son in a like manner. And when he was ready to die, he said, it is good being put to death by men to look for hope from Elohim to be raised up again by him. As for thee, thou shalt have no resurrection life. And afterwards they brought the fifth son and mangled him. And then he said unto the king, you have power over men that are corruptible, and thou doest what you will. Yet think not that our nation is forsaken by Yah. But abide a while and behold his great power, how he will torment you and your seed. After him also they brought the sixth son, who being ready to die said, Be not deceived without cause. For we suffer these things for ourselves, having sinned against God. And I think this is going to be in the story that Kat brings to point. That these people understood the scriptures and, and the ways of Yahweh so much. They knew that corporately, whether they individually or not were sinning, that they corporately were being punished and taking on that mantle of responsibility and sharing that that you can't do anything to us unless we've sinned. And I, I'm sure that Kat will bring that up. Um, be not deceived without cause, for we suffer these things for ourselves, having sinned against Elohim. Therefore marvel not at the things done to us. But think not thou that takest in hand to strive against Yahweh, Elohim, whatever that is there in the original. Thou shalt escape unpunished, because you will. But my mother was marvelous above all, 
and worthy of honorable, excuse me, but the mother, uh, worthy of honorable memory. For when she saw her seven sons slain within the space of one day, she bare it with good courage because of the hope that she had in Yahweh. Yea, she exhorted every one of them in her own language, filled them with the filled with the courageous spirit. Again, that deutimous power of spirit and energy, stirring up her womanish thoughts, but having a manly stomach watching all of this, basically, she said to them, can you imagine? I mean, could you imagine this after one child? I cannot tell you how you came into my womb. For I did not give you breath or life. Neither was it that I formed the members of every one of you. But doubtless the creator of the world who formed the generation of man and found out the beginning of all things will also of his own mercy give you breath and life again as you now regard not your own selves for his Torah's sake. And now Antiochus, thinking himself despised because, you know, he can't understand this. It's not in his language. He doesn't realize what she's saying. She's not saying, you know, if they could really hear what she was saying, they probably thought she was insane. Right. Whilst, um, so he thinks it's a reproachful speech. And while the youngest was yet alive, did not only exhort him by words, but also assured him with oaths that he would make him both a rich and happy man. If he would turn from the laws of his father and that also he would take him for his friend and trust him. I mean, that's just Hasatan all the way. And when the young man would in no case hearken unto him, the king called his mother and exhorted her that she would be counsel, that she would counsel her, her young man to save his life. And when he had exhorted her with many words, she promised him that she would counsel her son. She did, didn't she? But she didn't counsel him the way he wanted him to wanted her to but she bowing herself toward him laughing the cruel tyrant to scorn thinking ha 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 you don't you're not going to win here Hasatan. she spake in her own country language on this matter oh my son have pity upon me that i bear you nine months in my womb and gave you suck for three years and nourished you and brought you up to this age and endured the troubles of education in other words instead of saying hey have pity on me because I gave birth to you like most mothers would do, right? Save your life. She's going, no, no. She's saying the opposite. She said, basically, she raised him for the kingdom. I beseech you, my son, look upon heaven and the earth and all that is therein and consider that Elohim made them of things that were not. And so was mankind made likewise. Fear not this tormentor, but being worthy of your brother's take your death that i may receive you again in mercy with your brothers and while she was yet speaking these words the young man said to them who, who are you waiting for i will not obey the king's commandment but i will obey the commandment of the torah that was given unto our fathers by moses and now that has been the author of all mischief against the hebrews shall not escape the hands of elohim for we suffer because of our sins Again, this theme is throughout. And though the living Yahweh, Elohim, uh, be angry with us for a little while for our chastening and our correction, yet shall he be at one again with his servants. You could go into the whole thing about being a cod and the mystery of that. Um, but thou, O godless man, of all other 
and of all other most wicked. Be not lifted up without a cause, nor puffed up with uncertain hopes, lifting up your hand against the servants of the Most High, Yahweh. For thou hast yet escaped, have not yet escaped the judgment Almighty, who seeth all things. For our brothers, who now have suffered a short pain, are dead under Elohim's covenant for everlasting life. But thou, through the judgment of Elohim, shall receive just punishment for your pride. But I, as my brothers, offer up my body for the laws of our father, beseeching Yahweh that he would speedily be merciful unto our nation. I think about that. If we're going through uh, torment, persecution, um, pain and suffering, look at it as he did. He says, uh, this is for the benefit of our nation. I mean, think of Sir William Wallace in uh, Braveheart, you know, freedom, right? Uh, and, and think of Iran and think of China. Where where does the church, the body grow? It grows when people understand and know and receive that eternal life and are willing to give it up. And then this is the story of the martyrs throughout history. Uh, I offer my body up. Uh, let's see. Uh, that would speedily be merciful unto our nation. So if I'm going through suffering and I'm dying or I'm whatever it is, I'm, I'm going to be faithful to that so that it's going to bring a speeding up of mercy for my people. And thou by torments and plagues may confess that he alone is Elohim and that in me and my brethren, uh, my brothers, the wrath of almighty, which is justly brought upon our nation may cease. Then the king, being in a rage, handed him worse than all the rest and took it grievously that he was mocked. So this man died undefiled and put his whole trust in Yahweh. And last of all, after all the sons, the mother died. And let this be enough now to have spoken concerning the idolatrous feasts and extreme tortures. Okay, so sorry about uh, breaking up your little world there. Um but I think there's so much to learn to that. And I forced myself, I, I forced myself to Sakaar to memorize uh, the, and give memorial to Hana every year because that would be my goal. That would be the goal that I would want. You know, if, if we all had that goal, if we all had that understanding, we all had that depth of knowing, then we would live differently and we'd make choices differently. And I think the world would be different anyway. So yeah. that's all I got to say. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that, that view to eternity rather than the temporal. But very good. Thank you so much for that. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to say that was uh, the Maccabees was the big change in our life. Uh, when my husband read Maccabees, I think he actually read it twice and the second time through, I knew he was done with that part when he drug our garbage can into the kitchen and started emptying our refrigerator and our freezer and said no more. Um, wow. And, and, and it's been that way for us. And, and what's funny is that is the one thing um, most that, that people will fight you about is, is your choice to eat clean and especially not eat swine, not eat pork. And, and it's it's unbelievable that back then um, with them, that was the thing is 
you know, just either just fake it or, or you're going to eat it or we're going to chop you to pieces, you know. Um, like you said, it impressed upon us. We are not supposed to do this and we're not going to. <clears throat> now, if those people were so willing and so ready to give up their life to not eat pork and yet you've got people today who will argue and fight with you about whether or not, you know, eating pork's okay, all that stuff's nailed to the cross sort of rhetoric that we hear and, you know, it's these people died to to maintain yours ways yours love and instructions for us and it's 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 harrowing hearing that those tales in maccabees but it is life-changing isn't it it is yes it is you know it's funny that my husband just started a new job and he came home after the first day and he said well i was set apart already because what was put before me the first day that i had to make a stand he said but you know pork and i had to say i'm sorry i don't eat that <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's like it's always right there it is yeah. well you know my husband um praise y'all he in his former jobs he he had favor and um so when it came time for Thanksgiving and Christmas, when they gave away the hams, they would always make a special order, right? And whenever they had company meetings, they would make a special order on the pizza. So um, it's been a blessing. But, you know, people are watching you. That's the thing. They're watching you. Yeah, they certainly are. Well, thank you so much for that, Nisa. That was, that was really very, very good, very interesting. Um, I guess I'll go ahead and go next. So let me switch this. All right. Well, I am talking about um, Mary Magdalene, Miriam of Migdal. That was who I picked. All right. So, you know, the first thing that people always think about with uh, Miriam of Migdal is they cast her into the role of the prostitute. As I've dug, I don't find any scriptural evidence for this whatsoever. And so that is one of the things I'm going to bring up. But what I did find about her, I found very interesting. You know, she's talked about in all four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I always find that interesting because I've done a lot of teaching lately on the fact that each of those Gospels, was said to a way they kind of represent the four standards around the Mishkan so that where, you know, three tribes each would understand the message given in each of those gospels. And so you do see it in all of them. And basically the same message is given all of them. And basically the message is that she was from Magdala. That's just one of the big things that it has to say. Um, let me share my screen so you guys can see this. All right. Oh, sorry. I hit remove. There it is. All right. So we're looking at uh, Miriam of Big Doll. So we see here in, in Matthew uh, 27, 55 and 50, 56, she's among many women and they were a fall off ministering in Galil and Miriam of Migdal was there. So we've got a Miriam of Migdal. We've got Miriam, the mother of Yaakov and Yosef and the 
and the mother of Zebdi's children. There's a lot of Miriams that we come across, right? And it makes it rather confusing. So she was from uh, Magdalene, okay? So here's what we're given of her name, G3094 in the Strong's, uh, in the Greek, a female Magdalene, an inhabitant of Magdala. This is the huge and overwhelming message every time you look at Miriam, that she's from this place called Magdala, okay? So I just wanted to share a little bit more out of Matthew with her. Um, but late in the day of the Shabbat, as it began to grow light, this is Matthew 28, to that one Shabbat to come came Miriam of Magdala and the other Miriam and beheld the sepulcher. So this is after the death of Yahusha. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of Yahweh descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his remnant white as snow. And fear, and for fear of him, the garters did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Yahusha, which was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come to the place where Adonai lay. And go quickly and tell his Talmudim that he's risen from the dead. And, beh and behold, he goes before you into Galil. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his Talmudin word. And as they went to tell his Talmudin, behold, Yahushua met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then said Yahushua unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren, and they and brethren that they go into Galil, and there shall they see me. Okay, so then we get to see in Mark, it's basically just gives this one little bit here. Now I love this one because in, in Mark 15, it kind of just gives the same story, but then in 169. There's a reference and it says, now having risen early Shabbat morning, Yahusha appeared first. The very first person after he's resurrected that he appears to is Marion of Migdal. And it tells us from whom he had cast out seven devils. Okay. Now, then in Luke, um, we learned that she was a woman of great substance. So in Luke 8, 1 through 3, it says, And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the good news of the kingdom of Elohim. And the twelve were with him, and certain women which had been healed of evil ruachoth and infirmities. Miriam called of Migdal, called of Migdal, out of whom went seven devils. So again, we see that. And Yochanan, the woman of Huza, Herod's steward, and Shushana and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. So, I mean, this it tells me this was not a poor woman. These were women of means. Okay. In Luke 24, 10 and 11, it was Miriam of Migdal and Yochanan and Miriam, the mother of Yaakov and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not when they were trying to say, listen, he's risen, right? They were like, no, you women don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Then John 19, uh, we see uh, 1925. Now there stood by the cross of Yahusha 
his mother and his mother's sister, Miriam, the woman of Akav, and Miriam of Migdal. So again, we see another, this is where she's from. This is how she's identified. Now on that, going into chapter 20, now on that certain Shabbat came Miriam of Migdal early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and saw that the stone had been taken away from the sepulcher. Further down in the chapter, we see in verse 15, Yahushua said unto her, woman, why do you weep? Whom do you seek? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if you have borne him hence, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Yahushua said unto her, Miriam, he called her name, right? Miriam. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say teacher. So then she recognized him, right? And Yahushua had to say unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and and your father and to my Yah and your Yah, right? Miriam of Migdal came and told the Talmudin that she had seen Adonai and that he had spoken these things unto her. So as I looked at these scriptures, what it really hit me is where she was from tells us the most important things about her, okay? So this is what I took a look at. This is a map here on uh, the Sea of Galilee and which were these major points, the harbors of the Sea of Galilee. We see right over here to the left, the uh, Magdala, okay? So that's kind of a blown up map of just the Sea of Galilee and seeing all the ports. All right, so that was kind of to the north and it looks like to the east, right? Okay, so now looking at this in a different light, here we see where is Yerushalayim, right? <laughs> I always love it, this shot, because it's like the center of the world, right? <laughs> the very center of everything. And so now getting a little bit bigger picture, here's Migdal, right? Or Magdala. Here's Nazareth. Here's Jerusalem. There's Tel Aviv. You can see all of Syria, Jordan, okay? So it's this one little place right there up on the Sea of Galilee. All right. So now this I found very interesting. Um, this is a map of Magdala in Ethiopia of the British Battle of 1868, formerly, formerly known as Abyssinia. And the reason I include this is I just wanted you to see what I saw there. And what is this if not a high place, right? right in there. Okay. So even though this is a different location, I do believe that it was patterned after the ancient. Okay. So this battle was, yeah, back in, what did I say? Um, it was in 1868. And that's when this picture is from right there. Okay. So I wanted to start back with a little research of the name, this place that she was from so that we can learn who this is. So I find the first mention of this in Genesis 35, 19 through 22. Now look at everything that was happening. All the children had been born. Rachel has just given birth to Benjamin and wanted to name him Ben-Yoni, son of my sorrow. And his father says, no, that's going to be Benjamin, son of my right hand. Okay. So she dies and it's because of hiding the idols underneath her 
right? The curse was put upon her because she sat upon the idols. So Rachel dies and was buried in the way to Ephrathath, which is in Bethlehem. And Yoakov set a pillar upon her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. So she was buried kind of on this journey. And Yashrael journeyed and spread his tent beyond Migdal Eder. So she dies. They bury her. He goes just past that land. So he was in this region of Migdal when this was happening in his life, right? So, and it came to pass when Yashrael dwelt in that land just beyond Migdal Eder, that it came to pass when they dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bila, his father's concubine, and Yasharel heard it. Okay, so there was a lot of things going wrong in the family at this point, right? There was a lot of sorrow. There was a lot of sin. There, there was a lot of error. So I looked at this word, migdal, and what I found is H4026, migdal, which means a tower. It's like a pyramidal-shaped tower, right? Like a pyramid that's been covered over with a bed of flowers. It's also referred to as a castle, like a high place. So I wanted to look, of course, in the paleo. And what I saw was the mem, the gimel, the dalit, and the lawman. So I'm looking at it going, there's chaos on the journey of the doorway of the shepherd, right? They, and we certainly see that in this passage as they were trying to journey towards this authority of the shepherd, the, the, the way to the kingdom, you know, what they were experiencing on this journey was a lot of chaos and it's coming from this area. So when I looked a little further, there's a few other words at, at H4029, we've got Migdal. It's a tower of a flock. It belongs to a flock. And when you look at flock, at many times it's translated as Zion. The same Zion that Zion is for Yah's people and for the place for Yah's people. It's also referred to as a tower of fortune. So we're seeing prosperity, right? <clears throat> um, the, the root word is Gadal. It's H1431. It is the primitive root and it means to twist in various senses, as in body, mind, estate, honor, pride, to be advanced, to be advantageous, to exceed, to wax great, to have a very proud speech, a tower. And so I looked at that and I'm thinking, wow, talk about mental strongholds connected to your land, to your wealth, to your power, to what your community is, having pride in who you are as a place, as a nation, as a, as a community, right? That's what I'm seeing in this. And so even in the Brown Driver Briggs, I saw greatness, a greatness, a magnitude, a magnificence, a pride and an insolence in a very bad way, in a very bad sense. This reminded me of this verse out of 2 Corinthians 10, starting in 3 through 5. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty through Elohim to the pulling down of strongholds, right? These strongholds take place in our mind, right? There's that twisting. We see that twisting. Things are not set right in the thinking process. Casting, and here's what we're to do, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Elohim and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Mashiach. All right. So when I looked a little bit here, let me see. Oh, at the stronghold. So I looked up the word stronghold. It is G3794. And it means fortify through the idea of holding safely a castle, a stronghold. Only used one time. I found that very interesting. Okay. So I was looking at kind of like this affluence, right? And thinking about this at the time of where she would have lived and, and what that would have been like. And so I typed something up as I was thinking up about that. And I'm just going to share that with you for a minute. Let me remove this for one second. Okay. Let me switch this to here. Okay. So I, I, I wrote this. And I was thinking about it, growing up with riches, you know, being, having what you need materially in abundance um, can lead to a lot of loneliness, especially like as a, as an only child or in a house that becomes lonely because children are really longing more for relationship with their parents, more than just stuff being thrown at them, right? And that what children really are craving is that relationship where someone has time to talk to you um, and explain what it is you're experiencing in the world, you know, because that's what's happening in a child's life. They're experiencing all these things. And she lived in this major port city where there was a lot of activity. And when you're on a, a major port city, everything from the world is being brought in. And so I was thinking about that today and, and really even thinking about kind of my own growing up. It really, it brought me to tears last night as I was thinking about this. You know, when there were a lot of times I, I had a lot of material advantages when I was growing up, but that close-knit relationship that I longed for, I did not have, you know. And when I would notice things going on in the world, there was... Um, uh, what was kind of told to me was, oh, well, you know, we don't talk about those things, you know, like those are uncomfortable subjects. I don't want to answer those questions. Like if you notice something that seems wrong as a child and you bring it up, but yet it's something your family's participating in, but it makes them uncomfortable. Everything's kind of swept underneath the carpet, right? But as a child, then you just don't even begin to know how to process this because there's something in you that says this isn't right, but yet I'm, I'm looked at weird if I ask, and then things are swept under the carpet. Also, growing up influential, there's a certain thing, you know, sometimes, and, and I'm not trying to put a blanket statement, but I'm trying to project myself into, you know, my own experience and probably what I would imagine Miriam experienced. And so everything... All this information is coming up from this worldly message being cast your way. I mean, growing up, I had, 
everything I could have wanted. We went on very expensive vacations. I had lots of clothes, jewelry, every, you know, modeling classes, all these types of things. Everything was geared to, you need to look a certain way. You should speak a certain way. You should present yourself a certain way. Like all your value was how you presented yourself, how you appeared, how you, how, what you, how you appeared reflected on your family, you know, and that was your importance. That was your job. Um, the, the riches you had, I, I, I mean, I, I know I grew up with everything that the world had to offer and I would imagine this, you know, music, dance, um, pornography was in one click away in my house always. And it wasn't because we had the internet, but we had cable television and unlimited and it was piped into every room and you could watch whatever you want, whenever you wanted, you kind of had to be responsible for yourself, right? That was what it was like growing up. Um, so, you know, clothes, jewelry, makeup, my house, there was a lot of competition. You had to be a high achiever, you know, in the world. Um, there was a lot of access to drugs, to alcohol in, in, in my growing up. And I would imagine there was that access for her too. What these things do when you, when you have no one to bounce them off and then you partake of these things as a child, they become part of your life and the way that you think and the way that you process everything, right? Everything is, you know, lessons on how to be prettier. Um, it's your main job, your value, your ability to be entertaining, right? Um, and this is where all the praise comes from when you do well with these types of things. All right, so let me add that oh, back here. So what this reminded me of, what were the seven evil Ruachs that were cast out? And this is what I think it was. I think it was the seven deadly sins, pride, covetousness, avarice or greed, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, sloth. Because this is what this type of upbringing and culture brings to a person's life. And the more you partake of it, it's just like that conscience that gets seared as you go deeper and deeper into sin and one leads to another and opens up an area and opens up a door and opens up another pathway for evil spirits to come in and be a part of your daily existence. And it's not really so obvious that this is what somebody that, that somebody's even filled with these evil Ruachs, right? It's come on gradually. The doors have been opened gradually and it, they may appear extremely normal and high functioning and yet filled with evil Ruachs. So we've got this pride, the sense of one's self-worth. It's out of proportion to reality, right? It's normally counted as the first of the deadly sins but can it, because it can and often does lead to the commission of other sins in order to feed one's pride, right? It's a rebellion against against Yah. And this is the first thing we see set up, right? You know, pride in, in who you are, okay? It was what called Lucifer to fall from heaven. All right. Covetousness, a strong desire for possessions, especially for possessions that belong to another. Yeah, we're, we're not supposed to be coveting according to the ninth commandment. And the tenth, right? We're not supposed to do that. Greed and avarice are sometimes used as synonyms. They both normally refer 
to an overwhelming desire for things that one could legitimately possess. Lust, a desire for sexual pleasure that is out of proportion to the good of sexual union or is directed at someone with whom one has no right to a sexual union. That is someone other than one's spouse. It's possible even to have lust toward one's spouse if one's desire for him or her is selfish rather than aimed at the deepening of the marital union. Anger, the excessive desire to take revenge. While there's such a thing as righteous anger that refers to a proper response to injustice or wrongdoing, anger is one of the deadly sins may begin with a legitimate grievance but it escalates until it's out of proportion to the wrong that's been done. Gluttony, excessive desire, not just for food or drink, but for pleasure obtained by eating and drinking. While gluttony is most often associated with overeating, drunkenness is also a consequence of gluttony. I would say so is drug abuse, right? That that's where it falls in. Envy. Envy is a type of sadness at the good fortune of someone else, whether in possessions, success, virtues, or talents. The sadness arises from the sense that the other person does not deserve the good fortune, but you do, right? And especially because of a sense that the other person's good fortune has somehow deprived you of similar good fortune, as if y'all only has so much and they got what you think you should have gotten, right? Sloth, a laziness or sluggishness when facing the effort necessary to perform a task. Sloth is sinful when one lets a necessary task go undone or when one does it badly because one is unwilling to make the necessary effort. So when I was looking at this, I thought, okay, seven demons cast out of her, right? And, and these take a lifetime to accumulate and come on someone, right? It's, it's progressive that these things get opened. So she, he appears to her first. And I believe that when these Ruachs cast out, you know, because we know it says when a Ruach, an evil Ruach is cast out of someone, that seven more come looking, seeing if now there's room for them. And there will be room unless it's been replaced with something else. So Yah gives us his seven ruachs found in Isaiah 11 too, you know, to fill us with his goodness and his wisdom and his counsel and his might and everything that in the fear of him to live our lives in a wise way. Right. And we can begin, begin partaking of that right away. And then there's no way that the evil can come back. And I believe that this was the miracle that happened for her. And I also believe that she is a prototype or picture, if you will, of Yasharel as a whole. Right. Because which of us haven't had to deal with these seven deadly sins. Right. And had to deal with that within ourselves. So to me, I see a couple of us. Uh, scripture verses that are promises. Psalm 48, starting in one, great is Yahweh and greatly to be praised in the city of our Elohim. Even upon his holy mountain, Mount Zion, lying northward, is beautiful in elevation. It is the joy of the whole earth and the city of the great king. Elohim is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings, right, the kings of the earth, were assembled. They passed by together. 
they saw it and so they marveled they were troubled and hasted away fear took a hold upon them there and pain as of a woman in travail you break the ships of tarshish yahweh with an east wind Kat and i were looking at this yesterday in the paleo class and that east wind we had a word picture we've got a kuf a dalit and a mem behind this door is chaos and destruction right when that east wind blows that's what's coming as we have heard so we have seen in the city of yahweh zavaot in the city of our elohim Elohim will establish it forever, Selah. We have thought of your loving kindness, O Elohim, in the midst of your temple, according to your name, O Elohim. So is your praise unto the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Yahudah be glad because of your judgments. Walk about in Zion and go round about her. Count the towers thereof. That word is the migdal count the migdal thereof okay now mark you well her bulwarks consider her palaces that you may tell it to the generation following for this elohim is our elohim forever and ever he will be our guide even unto death and there's one more place in the um in the old testament that i saw it out of the prophet micah it's in chapter four but in the last days, it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of Yahweh shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of Yahweh and to the house of Elohai of Yahweh, and he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For the Torah shall go forth of Zion, and the word of Yahweh from Yerushalayim, and he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of Yahweh Zavaoth has spoken it. For all people will walk everyone in the name of his Elohim, and we will walk in the name of Yahweh Eloheinu forever and ever. In that day, says Yahweh, will I assemble her that halts. We halted because we were broken. There were strongholds in our mind, right? And I will gather her that has been driven out into the nations, into the chaos, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halted a remnant and her that was cast far off a strong nation. And Yahweh shall reign over them in Mount Zion from henceforth even forever. And you, Migdal Adur, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto you shall it come, even to the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Yerushalayim. And that's where we see the promise that he restores what had gone wrong in Migdal, in the twisting, right? In the twisting. And so it just reminds me this same word in Micah 4, 8, the promise of Migdal Eater and Genesis 35, 21, we saw this is what was going on in the family of Yaakov as a whole. All right, well, that was what I had to share. Let me remove my screen. 
All right. That was it. That was wonderful. There was so much there. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I never knew all of that about Migdal. Not at all. It's really interesting, wasn't it, later for, to see the meaning behind it and it being about those high towers like Nietzsche was talking about, you know, those high places. Yeah. yeah. And it's that, you know, we don't really realize how much the um, women were appreciated by Yahushua. It's so overlooked, but you've not just got Mary of Magdal, but Mary of Bethany and Martha. And, you know, that he went to the women first. I mean, how special is that? Yahushua didn't go to the men first, to the women first. And I just love that. That's wonderful. Thank you, Shell. Yeah. Thank you, Kat. I love the thought of the casting out of the, the seven deadly sins, that they were the, the seven deadly sins, the, the Ruachs, that, the evil Ruachs that were cast out of her. Boy, that just really brings a lot of things home for all of us. Like those, those are things that we have to, to work at and pray for to be removed, but then to remember to to fill ourselves with the Ruach Akodesh, you know, so that nothing else can can break in to us. Just love yeah. that. Thanks, Lee. Mm -hmm. And it is true also when you when you study, which you probably have studied this, um, a lot of the times people don't understand that there are different Marys, especially in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Everyone assumes it's just the one. Um, I, you know, if you get into the study of the aromatherapy and stuff, you kind of get to see that. But, um, but yeah, thanks for digging deeper because, um, actually, I think I've been up there, I think that's where we stayed near. Um, beautiful view, by the way, wow. <laughs> in the springtime. But, um, yeah, all those different strongholds in those different places. And, um, anyway, it'd be interesting to go back through that and, and study some of those places and and who they belong to um you know who who went over them and that's a lot of what we miss in scripture right is the whole like you know if you say one thing you know that means something else right which by the way i have a i don't know why if i type anything on the comments it says the heart of the tribe and everybody says the same thing so i don't know what that is about but uh, i had someone here uh text me and wanted to know if they could access your notes shell oh you know kat and lee and i are kind of working right now on a project to be able to make notes and teachings available to people so we'll be announcing you know when okay. we have that in order we will we will definitely announce that i really appreciate okay. everybody asking and we i've been asked that before and we're we're going to work on something we're in the process already of working on something to where we and can do these things. You available. might also want to tell them, because uh, I'm not sure that they're a member of the group, ask them if they want to join Telegram, uh, the Heart of the Tribe group, correct? So yeah, you would put those announcements in there, correct? Yeah, I know James is watching. So James, if you would put even how to join Telegram into the comments, that would be great. Okay, cool. Yeah, thank you. All right, well, if we're done, we'll go, we'll move on to Kat. Lovely. Alrighty. <laughs> so, um, I really struggled with today's topic, and that's not because 
uh, there's no one that inspires me, but because there are so many that do, most of whom are women. The Bible is full of many righteous men who did many wonderful things, but it's also full of all inspiring women who are often overlooked and underrated. And as my dear sisters have shared with you, many of them today, it's now my honour that I share someone with you too. I've spent lots of hours over these women. They're in fact, they're who inspire me more than anybody, anybody to bring studies forth myself and look at them. So picking just one was incredibly challenging, but with that said, I did manage to in the end. I went for a woman who will be unknown to those who have never looked into extra biblical books. She had the beauty and wisdom of Abigail, the leadership skills of Deborah, the prayers of Hannah, not Hannah of Maccabees, Hannah mm. um, in Samuel, and the strength and stomach of Yael and the faith of Rahab. The wonderful lady I've chosen to share about today is Judith. If I could just sit here and read the entire book of Judith to you, I would, but we'd probably need to double the length of the show, even further. <laughs> I love every chapter and, and each one is so important. And we do not even see the woman in question until chapter eight. If you have never read it, I implore you to do. It is in the Sefer, it is available online, and I'm sure soon I will present my own full study on this entire book. I have done one already, but as my own understanding changes, there are some things I want to change in that too. So today I'm going to summarise her story and let you all know exactly why I think this lady is just so wonderful. Her story is at a time when the world is very much like the one I believe is coming in the near future. There was a leader who wanted to control over everyone and everything and he would stop at nothing to get it those who would not fall in line were to be killed those who would would have to live as he commanded and no other elohims or people were to be worshipped just him due to a number of events i won't go into today the children of yasharel find themselves surrounded by this ruler's army Food and water is running out and desperation has set in. The people beg the priests to hand them over as spoil rather than them die of thirst. The priests ask the people to just endure five days and if Yah hasn't interceded, then they will give up. And this is where Judith comes in. Judith was a beautiful, wise woman of great stature and wealth, much like Abigail. She was yar-fearing and also, unfortunately, a widow. She spent much time mourning the loss of her husband over three years and would consistently, constantly fast, only breaking for Sabbaths, new moons and feasts. This is one of the reasons that I personally admire Judith, because of the love that she had for, this, for her husband. This woman, although there were many that wished to have her hand, she remained faithful to her husband until the day that she died. When Judith hears of what has taken place, the deal that has been made between the people and the leaders, she goes and puts them in her place. She speaks with honour, dignity and truth. She starts by telling them that they should not tempt Yah. They do not know Yah, his heart or his will, for they are mere humans and our ways are not his ways, his thoughts not our thoughts. 
We may not understand why something is happening, but Yar sees the end from the beginning. She tells them that if they were to be taken, then they would be a snare unto those who have them in captivity. She tells them to cry out unto Yar, and if it pleases Yar, then he will help them. She reminds them that they do not go after other Elohim as our ancestors did before them. This is very important for us to remember when we are in difficulty, that Yah helps those that serve him. She tells them that they are an example, as we, as we saw in the book of Maccabees, to those around them, and, she, and they should give thanks unto Yahuwah. She goes on to say that they are not tried as their forefathers were, but that being tried is a part of their walk with Yah. From just these beginning things, what is there not to admire about this woman? Her speech alone shows her great wisdom and fear, trust and understanding of Yah. And I have only summarised this, this speech that she gave to them, but her story gets even better. The leaders respect her and all that she says, but they make out they have no choice but to make the vow that they did. And they ask her to pray for her, them. They ask her to pray because she is a righteous woman. And in Proverbs fifteen twenty nine, Yahuwah is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. She says she will pray and that Yah by her hand will deliver them in the time they specified. This is where we see some other touches of Deborah. She leads, she hears what Yah has to say, and she understands his will. This is where we see in that prophetess and leader of Deborah. But next up, we see Hannah. As she breaks out in prayer. Before doing anything, Judith prays. This should be our go-to. Before we do anything, we should pray. And we can learn from the way that she prays. She asks Yah to come to her aid, for he knows things that have been and are to come. He, his ways are prepared and judgments in his foreknowledge. She acknowledges that the war against them is great and comes from them, that they know the might of their own weapons and know not that Yah controls all things. She asks that they will fall by the deceit of her mouth, an interesting comment to make. As we all know, lies are not permitted in the commandments. However, like Rahab, this lie will bring safety and victory to Yasharel and glory unto Yahuwah. She asks Yah to deliver them into the hand of a woman so that the place of his name be polluted not. She makes mention of the fact the power of Yah is not found with mighty men, but with the afflicted, the weak and the oppressed. He is a saviour to the hopeless. Again, it would do as well to keep this in our minds as we deal with life's trials and tribulations that is to come. She then proclaims who he is, what he has created saying again to let her deceit and speech be wounds unto those that wish to hurt his children. And she declared that all should know 
every nation, every tribe should know that you are Elohim of all power and might and none other is protector of Yasharel. She doesn't want the glory. She wants the glory to be yours. Buried in the middle of her prayer, she even declares that his name is Yah. And there is much to be learned from the prayers of Judith and Hannah alike. After her prayer, Judith for the first time lets go of her mourning for her husband. She dusts herself off, so to speak, and prepares herself for war. But not with armour or weapons, but with her beauty and her brains and her wisdom that Yah has given. She knows how to be attractive to a man to win him over. She then heads for the gates and towards the enemy's camp. Once she has made her way through the camp, with only a handmaid by her side, surrounded by many, many mighty men of war, she was presented before the man in charge. Judith tells him what he wants to hear, but she also speaks a mighty truth. She starts out with some flattery, telling him how they have heard of his wisdom and how his leader reigns over the whole world. She then goes on to tell him what he had heard about her people was true. Yasharel are unbeatable, and unlike Nietzsche pointed out before, unless they sin against Yahuwah. Yahuwah will protect them. He always does. But once they start to transgress the Torah by doing things like eating pork or taking that which was meant for the priests, then Yahuwah will turn against them and they will be beaten. She tells him because of the scarcity of water that they have begun transgressing the Torah. And because of this, she has fled because she knows that their demise is certain. This reminded me of Balak and Balaam, in whose failure to curse Yasharel placed that stumbling buck before them so that they would curse themselves. Many today believe that if anything bad happens in their life, then it certainly must be caused by Satan. And while this sometimes may be the case, they tend to overlook the fact that they transgress the Torah of Yahweh. And as Nietzsche was saying, it's not just one individual, it's the nation as a whole when when we start to transgress, that is when our fences and security starts to come down. This fact, this fact is probably due to mainstream Christianity teaching the law is done away with. However, we all know that that is not the case. When we do as Yah has commanded, we stay inside his circle of protection. And Judith knew this. When we transgress the Torah, we leave ourselves open to those attacks. Now, there are expectations like testing of Job, but this pattern of lawlessness and tribulation happened to Yasharel countless times, and it is a lesson that we should weigh heavy on our hearts. If the law was done away with, why are we told to repent in Revelation? Whenever I think of this circle of protection that we are in, when we keep his word, the Greek word for planet comes to mind. It's one of them. There are many. And it's planetes. And it means a wandering star, a false teacher, operating without a moral compass. 
straying from your circle of safety an imposter or a misleader a deceiver judith understands the importance of shema of hearing and obeying and doing yah's word and she understands that once out the people of yasharal no longer follow his ways then they will be subject to armies and subject to judgment judith continues on she even goes as far as to say that yah has sent her to him that yah is with her for she is very devoted and he will tell her when yasharal have committed their sins once they have they are a prey to anyone because of their lawlessness she will lead them through yasharal and she will set his throne in the midst of them this brings end times to mind it almost sounds like the abomination of desolation or something sitting in the place of yah he acknowledges judith's wisdom and beauty he tells her he will serve yah if she does as she has said and promises her that she will be renowned throughout the world again we're hearing that whispering voice of, of Hasatan, the one that tempted our messiah judith has laid out the plan to them told them why she found herself in the enemy's camp and they were satisfied the man in charge wants her to dine with him and eat of his meat and wine but judith refuses and she knows this will defile her temple and put her in wrong standing with Yah. So she tells him that this would be the case. He questions her on what would happen if she runs out, as there are none like her in his kingdom, to provide her with any more. But Judith assures him that she will ration wisely and not run out before what needs to be done is done. He lets her on her way and in the morning she seeks permission to go forth and pray. And this reminded me of that opening of Daniel. He and his men refusing that king's portion and it serves them well. It is not wise to defile yours temple as we are that temple and we are to stand strong in the day that we are living in. So Judith's wishes were granted, she remained clean, she ate of the provision that she had brought, she bathed, she prayed unto Yahuwah. But what they did not know is that she prayed to Yah to guide her to make a way for her own people, Yah's people. She did this for three days and on the fourth day they once again bid her to join them. This time Judith does not refuse. She even does herself up again as she had on the first night she entered into the camp. She made herself a space to sit and eat. And when the leader came in, he saw her sitting there and he was mesmerized by her. At the end of the night, all were drunk and all were tired. So all went home. Judith told those in charge she too would depart to say her prayers. She told her handmaid who waited for her. All were content, no one had any concerns, yet Judith went nowhere, but instead she called out to Yah and using the things around her, chopped off the man's head. Judith called out to Yahuwah to help her defeat the enemy of Yasharal, to strengthen her hand to do that which needed to be done, and he did. 
she kept the Torah of Yah, she prayed unto him and he helped her in her time of need. We must remember this. She in some ways was like Yael from the time of Deborah. A strong man died at the hand of a woman who had deceived him with her wisdom and beauty. So Judith and her handmaid left the enemy's camp, a head stowed away in their bag, acting as though nothing untoward had happened. For all anyone knew, they were going to make their daily prayers to Yah as they had every day. On her return, the people rejoiced. The enemy fled. There is so much to this book and to Judith. And if I told you it all, we would be here all day. As I said at the beginning, I encourage you to read this book, especially the women listening. It will encourage you, inspire you, and strengthen you to be the woman of Yah you are always called to be. As Mordecai said to Esther, and as Judith was, you, my dear sister, were born for such a time as this. Judith, the woman with the wisdom and beauty of Abigail, the leadership of Deborah, the stomach and strength of Yael, the prayers of Hannah and the faith of Rahab, it is easy to see why this lady inspires me. She had a relationship with Yah that was second to none. She has loyalty, wisdom, beauty, faith, honour. She stands for Yah, his word, his people and his name. She lived without fear and was not afraid to do what she had to do. What a woman she was. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Wow. Indeed. Thank you, Pat. That was great. I know. I know, Nita, you had even thought about doing Judas, so we'll let you go first with comments. Just, well, she kind of reminds me, only it's fleshed out, right, with um, Yael, JL, in uh, Judges. But the thing about Judith is, and I don't know how old she was, right? But she obviously wasn't a spring chicken, is what I'm thinking. <laughs> and and because she was modest um, and a widow, you know, she didn't she didn't dress in a way to appeal in her beauty, right? But she still had it, so all she had to do was dress up with it. And I think the the biggest thing around that, um, th besides, it's just phenomenal. It just boggles my mind. I don't even know if I could ever comprehend doing such a thing you, you know i mean to have to number one just pretend you're seducing this guy right <laughs> and um and then you know cutting his head off um but the thing is is and i think what's re really missing for our feelings and emotions on the story is her whole village was dying you know and and they build things up on a hill everywhere it's, uh, whether it's uh, on a mountain or a tell which is kind of a man-made um hill and that's that was for protection and, and to put up the gates and the walls and and so the fact that she could uh she prayed about you know how, how am i gonna what am i gonna do what do i what do i have right uh, i'm watching my village die i'm watching them i think you know they can't drink water etc and the enemy has you know taking over what can i do and so i believe that you know the holy spirit inspired her to come up with a plan 
that the men couldn't quite get because, you know, they were consumed with probably burying people, etc. But um, the whole thing about the beauty, you know, is women in general come to learn, correct me if I'm wrong, that beauty can be controlling, seducing uh, for pur purposes of whatever, wh whether we want to, you know, gain protection, provision uh, to the point where, you know, we just really come out to be a, a really awful person because it can progress as you walk in that sin um, to why, why are we given this beauty and what do we do with it? And she took what the one gift she had that wasn't obvious to everybody. She hid it as, you know, like a precious pearl, I think. And, but when the time came that it was to be used for righteousness, uh, used to uh, rebuke or rebuff or correct a situation she brought that up and then she she looked for um, permission on that. I mean, because think about it. What would have happened if she hadn't asked for permission? I mean, what do you, <laughs> you know, what would all the guys in the camp going, going, hey, look at, you know, that hot mama. She's all dressed up with her bangles and she's going down to the other side, right? So <clears throat> I just, you know, for me personally, in, in my background, um, having lived in Southern California and, and did some modeling and, and just the way I was raised, you know, when I came to the dinner table, I had to have everything in place and had to look a certain, you know, certain way. And there was a lot of, you know, kind of like what Mich Michelle had shared that there's a lot about the outward appearance, right? And then you, you take on that spirit. I mean, actually, I think I caught it from a movie as a seven-year-old, um, and then, you know, it's in music, it's in all kinds of things, but I picked up the spirit of seduction and, but I, but I found that I could use it for protection. I could use it to control instead of me being the victim because you're pretty, right? It was used to control. And then that just turned into bitterness and to anger, right? And then who did it hurt? It didn't hurt them. It hurt me. Right. And, um, you know, even, um, after 40 years, okay, 40 years ago, maybe more, I am that old. I, I, I was married to my first husband. I've been married 29 this time, but hey. But anyway, after 40 years, he found me on the internet, right? And the one thing that you can shame me with is how I look. You know, because your value, right? Your value comes from how you look to the world. And I could not believe when, when he got through Messenger or something, found me and and basically came about and the enemy, it was like a kick in the stomach, right? It was like, oh, so you're a Bible teacher? Where did you get those credentials? <laughs> I mean, the, the list went on, right? But, you know, he says, you've always been good looking, but a Bible teacher, a, a this or that. No, you're not so smart. You don't even. And it was like, <gasps> you know, here he's elevating again the one thing the enemy has used in my entire life. Right. Uh, to harm me. Right. And, um, and the old me would have 
oh, I can't be mean. I can't be cruel. I think a lot of women do that, you know. I, I can't rise up and say something, right, because I don't want to be mean, and they don't really mean that. And I can't tell you how much trouble and how much sin I got into when I was young because I didn't feel I had the right to speak up, right, to say, hey, no, this isn't right, uh, until I really found my identity and being the daughter of the king. Mm -hmm. Then it was, no, I have a right. I have to protect myself. I have to protect the gifts that father has given me, but it's still hard for me. You know, it's not, it's not an easy thing, but I was very proud that I could hit that delete button. <laughs> um, and so I just, I really like the fact that in the story of Judith, she uses her beauty in a way with wisdom, as you brought out, Kat. It was wisdom. It's wisdom. And, and I've shared that about in a dream before about the dream of um, knowledge versus wisdom. And knowledge is beautiful. She's impeccable, but she's dangerous, right? She destroys. But revelation, who revelation is, is much more beautiful. And a lot of times, okay, revelation's hidden until it's revealed so you don't see the beauty of that anyway that's all i have to say she just she was an incredible woman and i hope that we all can rise to the occasion should we have to excellent Amen. thank you it's not a long book too y'all need to read it yeah i plan to reread it I, it's been a while since i had read it but yeah i'm, I'm definitely going to reread it here and and I love what you were bringing out. And I want to look for that myself, Kat, about her prayers, you know, so that, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. The if you can get strength for anything, right? Like yeah. strength to do the unthinkable, you know, and as women, we're the lab, the, you know, we would never, she wasn't thought of as a threat, right? Really? Cause she was this pretty, innocent looking damsel, you know, but through prayer, y'all made her a warrior. Someone put in uh, the real Wonder Woman. So <laughs> yeah, she was a real Wonder Woman. And like Deborah, you know, strengthened through the father, they did what they had to do that yeah. most people couldn't do. And and I do use prayer as my weapon. And uh, like Nita said, I, I pray, I, I pray I never have to know that I need to draw on that strength, but I pray that I have the faith and the, the ability to hear my father um, when I do need to, and that he strengthened me for that. That's just beautiful, Catherine. Amen. Mm -hmm. You know, and you look at the prayers of Hannah and of Judith and you compare them, it's like a pattern to both. They like give thanks to Yah for the things that he's done. They compare a situation that was likened unto one that they're in. And they, they say, you know, you created everything, you know, and I know mm -hmm. that I don't have that strength on my own. There is, if you look at both together, you'll see there's a real pattern to them. And it's, it's beautiful. I think it's a good framework to learn how to pray effectively, probably ourselves. Excellent. Well, this has been very interesting. Um, and we've gone, we're a little over two hours. We've been talking for two hours and 15 minutes. Wow. <laughs> But I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed our time here together. Um, we'll just go through one more time. Anybody last thoughts? We'll start with uh, Nita and then go to Kat and then Lee. I just, I just 
you know, thank you for being here. It was wonderful. And um, it was great to share. And, you know, and it's interesting how each woman touched on something that was each personal to us, yeah. right? And how we can identify uh, through those through those women and take those things that they did good or what came out of what they did to live righteously uh, and apply that to our lives. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank we you. really enjoyed having you. As Nietzsche said, thank you to all of you. It's been absolutely wonderful. And also, you know, myself, I think there was a good strong message coming through the importance of, of obeying Yah and and following his ways and that that will keep us safe in the long run and not just as individuals but as a greater community we need to listen yeah. to our our elohim and only serve him yeah. absolutely thank you so much kat and lee yes and thank you ladies for being here and um everyone that has stuck with us through this i think it's amazing and and I agree uh, with Nietzsche and Catherine that each of these stories reflected uh, personal journeys with us. And just as a reminder, uh, we can get this inspiration from, from the word. It's there in, in living color, so to speak. When I read these stories, I see them happening. Yeah. Like it comes to life to me. I can see Ruth, I can see Judith, I can see Hannah, I can see Mary, and I'm seeing them through your eyes when you're you're giving your heart about this, and, and they're beautiful. They're all just so beautiful, and it, it does, it brings you to tears because these, these women inspire us now, and they should inspire everyone. Like, if you need hope uh, in this time, which we all do, for what's going on everywhere. If you need hope, well, you needn't go any further than cracking open one of these books because it's there. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, this, this was wonderful. I appreciate each and every one of you just bringing forth, you know, such a great message. And I know that Yah is going to, you know, open. I love how he does speak his message within a message, you know, for, for hungry hearts, for everyone to, you know, to hear what he has to say to us individually. So again, I just want to thank you each for being there and thank you for the hard work that you put into your presentations and say goodbye to our audience. We're so glad that you came and joined us today, whether you were able to join us live or you're listening later, we appreciate you being here and Shalom. Uh, and until next time, bye-bye, y'all. Blessings. Bye-bye. Day and night and night and day, the living creatures give their praise. To Him who lives eternally, they never cease from saying, Holy, Yahweh